Welcome to Communicating the Art, the international conference for cultural leaders. Episode 18. Who owns the story of our institution? Lost from the Louvre, Abu Dhabi. By Emma Cantwell, Marketing and Communication Acting Director at Louvre Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. Okay, so uh, I'll start with who we are, Louvre Abu Dhabi. Uh, as Satiana said, we opened in 2017, November 2017. So we just celebrated our two-year anniversary and uh, welcoming two million uh, visitors through our doors, which uh, was something we really celebrated. Uh, we are a universal museum, and what we mean by that is that we, we describe it as telling a decentralised uh, history of art in some respects, for those of you who are uh, arts history people, from the beginning of time right through to contemporary times. Uh, it's a chron chronological, thematic sort of uh, display, and it really is showing uh, uh, intersections between cultures and uh, meeting points, similarities, and sometimes it's very evident to see differences. So that is a simple way of describing what we do. We were born out of an intergovernmental agreement between France and the UAE, and uh, that was signed in 2007. And what that gives us is access to the name of the Louvre, so we've licensed the name of the Louvre for 30 years. But we also work with uh, 17 French institutions, including 13 of the major French museums, uh, the likes of the Louvre, of course, Musée d'Orsay, the Pompidou, for loaning works to go in our gallery spaces and working on temporary exhibitions. Uh, so half of what you see in our galleries belongs to the Louvre Abu Dhabi and we've been acquiring since 2009 and the other half are loans from the French Museum so it's a continually rotating display. Now, let's see if this works. Can you help me with the film on this one, please? Just as background. So this is our architecture that I'll show you here for those of you who haven't been. Uh, the museum is in, uh, it was uh, designed by Jean Nouvel, a famous French architect. Uh, he was inspired by the UAE. So uh, the experience through the galleries is very much a Medina Asuk. You sort of get lost as you go through each of the chapters uh, of the, the story of the museum. And what's spectacular about it is this rain of light that he's created over the dome, which is reminiscent of the pattern that palm trees make uh, in a souk, which is a traditional way that uh, the Bedouins, Emirati people, used to roof the souks at that time. So you get this constant changing pattern of light across the museum throughout the course of the day. My click is not working. Uh, so you can see the dome there. This is a uh, contemporary commission that we've worked on with Jenny Holzer, and you can see these low-lying low buildings. This is inside the galleries, one of the first chapters. So he really plays on the idea of light and shade uh, in, in his design. So our offer is uh, our gallery space. We have a, a major temporary exhibition space, which we program at the moment. We have an exhibition called Rendezvous in Paris, Picasso, Chagall and Modigliani, which is a collaboration with the Pompidou Museum. Uh, about the history, uh, about the period in art called School of Paris. And we've just opened a major exhibition, our blockbuster for the year, on the history of luxury. We also have a children's museum, which has real artworks in it. It's an experimental uh, space that's been hugely popular, uh, that's programmed like an adventure game that you, you go through collecting clues and really 
encouraging children to look at the artworks. We have a major performing uh, arts program, educational program. We want to be an inclusive museum. So uh, throughout the galleries, we have uh, accessibility considerations, braille, uh, stations where people uh, of determination, we call them in the UAE, can really learn more about artwork, so hearing impaired, vision impaired, etc. So the topic today, truth-telling. <clears throat> I loved this quote from uh, Lonnie Bunch III, that uh, the public has a real interest in the unvarnished truth, which I thought was relevant today for talking about truth-telling and storytelling. I think this is more relevant relevant than ever when we're living and working uh, as museums in an environment where we're questioning what the definition of a museum is. Uh, there's an, this ongoing debate around restitution of objects. Uh, you know, we're being scrutinized for uh, responsible uh, social responsibility, where we get our funds from, fundraising that we're doing. Uh, and there is this ongoing discussion around climate change, not to mention cultural identi identity and uh, in our region at the moment with, with what's happening in Syria, uh, for example, not to mention the rest of the region, these issues are more than ever uh, challenging what it means to be truth-telling and what the unvarnished truth is. Uh, and I think that that's putting extra pressure on us to really interrogate what storytelling uh, we are making. Uh, the world is looking more and more for brands with purpose and museums offer the same brand uh, experience that any other brands uh, can. And I think that that means that this authentic storytelling and our role in doing that is, uh, is heightened more than ever. So I guess if we're talking about truth telling, rather than having you all sit there for my whole presentation, uh, and for those of you who are familiar with the museum are wondering whether or not we are displaying the Salvatore Mundi, the Leonardo da Vinci. I can tell you that the work was acquired uh, by a different organization. It is not owned by Louvre Abu Dhabi and it is not on display at Louvre Abu Dhabi at the moment. So I thought in the essence of truth telling, I would start there. I think uh, the other thing that I wanted to say was that this idea of truth telling and storytelling really has a lot to do with the context in which you're, you're working. So for us, uh, Maybe you're aware, but Abu Dhabi obviously has a very specific context. So the country is 48 years old. Uh, we're about to celebrate the 48th anniversary. It's extremely multicultural, so we have more than 200 nationalities living there. Uh, only 8% of the population is Emirati, UAE nationals. So the other 92% of the population approximately are expatriates, which makes for a very interesting dynamic and a very trans transient demographic, which makes for a challenge when you're trying to market, retain, and invite audiences back. Uh, and we sit at a crossroads. So for my colleagues at the Louvre in Paris, it's hugely exciting that we have uh, so many Chinese and Indian visitors coming. But for us in Abu Dhabi, at that crossroads between East and West, that is normal uh, and obvious to us. But again, it, it makes for interesting ways in which we're reaching out to publics and bringing in tourists from those places, but also the those living in the UAE who come from those places. Uh, a complexity for the project is that we do everything in three languages. Our website, our social media, most of our advertising. So for me as an Australian who uh, is not fluent in French nor Arabic, that's quite a challenge to lead a team delivering that. 
And uh, we have a hugely complex stakeholder network. And I've mentioned this in the framework of storytelling because I think it, it plays a role. So we are an Abu Dhabi museum, but of course the museum was born between two governments. So uh, there's the complexity of the, the French involvement. We work with the Louvre on the use of their brand and we, we work closely with them on that. But we're also working day to day with 13 French museums with different specialties. So that brings with it its own complexity, its own opportunity, and also uh, some interesting sort of considerations around the way we tell stories. So I'm going to just cover three points today in terms of truth telling, truth -telling and storytelling. And actually, I think perhaps I don't have the answer for, for this very complex question, but I'll give you some examples of what we have done well or have tried to do, or we have areas to, to grow in this respect. So the first point I'll, I'll talk about is stories from data. Now, it's quite a crude way to start when we're working in museums and uh, looking at finding interesting stories and beautiful things and telling these, these stories of these objects that we're collecting. Uh, but for us, if I am reaching such a diverse demographic, I'm wanting to attract people from all over the world and get our UAE community coming back to the museum, I do need to look at the data. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you about a project that started with data, included uh, what I consider to be uh, uh, very uh, good use of storytelling, and uh, has, has since won awards. So I'll let you... In 2017, Louvre Abu Dhabi, a universal museum in the Arab world, opened its doors. 85% of its visitors come from Dubai by traveling the E11 Sheikh Zayed Road and driving across the emptiness of the Arabian desert. Hundreds of kilometers of what could easily be considered the world's most boring highway. To prove art is universal and accessible for everyone, even to a community unfamiliar with museum culture, we use the museum's masterpieces to disrupt the routine of the desert and transform the highway into the most exciting outdoor art experience ever. Louvre Abu Dhabi Highway Gallery. Here's how it worked. The museum's masterpieces were reproduced in giant frames and placed along the highway leading from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. For each artwork, a customized FM transmitter powered by solar panels was installed. And in partnership with the capital's municipality, the UAE's top three radio stations allowed us to hijack their frequencies. When drivers approached a billboard, the artwork's FM device synchronized and intercepted their car radios, triggering the Louvre Abu Dhabi audio guide. Instantly, a story behind the piece would broadcast through their speakers. Morning, the one. Welcome to Louvre Abu Dhabi's Highway Gallery. Say hello to Vincent van Gogh. The Ayn Ghazal monumental statue with two heads. Just ahead, a young Amir studying. Intercity buses, taxis and car rentals also supported the project. The highway gallery made a traditional media like radio innovative again. And everyone tuned in. Just by turning on their radios, drivers and passengers experienced a new way of seeing and appreciating art. And we made a tedious drive through the desert, an engaging and inspiring journey across human creation. Wow. 
So the brief I gave our team for this uh, particular project was, given the exposure that the architecture had had around the opening, I wanted us to tell stories about artworks in the museum. Because at the end of the day, yes, we're a destination and the, the architecture is incredible, but we wanted the public to have an affinity with these objects and to come to the museum to see them. So that was the brief here, and it was, uh, it was about storytelling. And we did a second edition on this, and uh, we invited people from the public, uh, so influencers if you like, but in many cases they're not uh, influencers with huge number of followers, but more people within the community, and we invited them to curate the gallery. So I'll just play a 30-second clip. This, uh, this, I think she's 14, she's the youngest scientist, Emirati scientist, and she chose a specific work, and we worked with... Uh, uh, artists, we worked with a scientist and people from different disciplines to choose their artworks and again recreated. And we also had 3D artworks this time, which was uh, in itself a challenge to sort of uh, have everyone on the, on the same page to get that off the ground. I feel like this museum is a gem we have in the UAE. It's something that I'm very happy that we have. It has opened the door for us Emiratis to learn more about art. I don't know what's happened there, but let's keep moving. Okay, so moving and the segue between the two, handing over the reins is something I wanted to talk to you about. I, taught, I gave the context around a very uh, complex stakeholder uh, network, and with that brings uh, views on the way our content should be, should be uh, shown and story should be told. And as such, this idea of handing over the reins to creatives, to content producers, to artists, to uh, young you know, uh, personalities in the UAE community is something that we've really looked to do. So we're building this collective of creatives and depending on the project, the story and the audience that we want to reach for each of the, uh, the projects that we're working on, we work with different uh, creatives. They might be producers, they might be writers, they might be filmmakers, uh, they might be artists. And, and this is the sort of the road that we're taking on that. And it also means handing over the reins in some cases to the public. So this is just a very simple example of user-generated content, but it's one of the most successful things we do on our social media channels. Uh, we encourage people to tag us for a pick of the week. Every week we uh, select uh, several of those that we think are the best and the public vote on which is, is their favourite for the week. So this is an example of one of the images that recently won pick of the week. And I am still astonished by the the uh, engagement that we're getting on this. So it's a very simple idea, maybe one that you can adopt if you don't already. Uh, I have another phone. This, if you can just turn the sound down here. This, was, uh, this happened two weeks ago. We were fortunate enough to get this amazing Rodin sculpture from uh, the Rodin Museum in Paris. And again, we invited press uh, for a behind the scenes exclusive look at this installation. Uh, with some influencers, some content creators, and uh, the impact was beyond our expectations. I mean, we ended up in the New York Times for this, this access that we gave to, to uh, uh, it was a newswire, but also content creators that came in with us. And we're doing exciting things like this on a day-to-day -day basis in museums, installing artworks, conserving artworks, and I think this behind-the-scenes exclusive access can really make for amazing storytelling. And again, if we're handing over the reins to people, they can tell a different uh, version of a story that us as an institution, as our institutional voice might have. And this seems very obvious, but relevance is everything in, in the market in which I work and, and for all of us. 
so I wanted to talk a little bit, give you some examples of, of uh, how we do that. Uh, so in February, we had a, uh, an exhibition on uh, Rembrandt Vermeer in the Dutch Golden Age with uh, the Louvre and the Leiden Collection. Uh, so Thomas Kaplan is a, uh, a very well, wealthy man with an obsession of Rembrandt. Uh, he started collecting, uh, I think, two decades ago and has acquired one of the largest private collections in the world. Uh, but we did, in our, in our brand research, and our market research, Rembrandt wasn't very recognisable in, in, uh, in the Arab region. And Vermeer certainly was not. And whether or not that's, uh, uh, that's expected or not, it's something that, of course, we need to begin when we're, we're planning a marketing strategy. So we needed to rethink how me, with my Western views of a specific uh, period in art history, would frame it. Uh, so we ended up going with this idea, which I don't think is original. I think I've seen it done by other, other museums. But the, the idea that at this point in, in the Dutch Golden Age, these were the original sort of selfies, the original portraits. And uh, that had huge traction and uh, was, had an, an immediate impact on our bottom line of visitors. So our exhibitions are usually attended by about 20% of our, our public coming to the museum. And this exhibition increased to 45%. Um, and we could see through the research on this that people found it relevant and we entered with a, a, a point um, of discussion that people were interested in. And so everybody knew who Rembrandt was by the time we were done with this campaign. Uh, luxury, we've just opened, as I said. And this is an example of the sort of playful way that we're asking people and giving relevance to some of these content because this is not a fashion exhibition. Um, and although that's the easiest way for some of our public to get them in, we wanted to have some of the storytelling behind uh, the objects that are in the exhibition. So again, it's just finding that point of relevance. And this is done through a lot of research. So we test some of these concepts. Uh, we have ongoing uh, visitor research in the museum each week. How much time? Am I okay for time? Okay, I think I have a couple more slides. Uh, on relevance, we had the Pope visit uh, Abu Dhabi in February and uh, we sent some of the artworks from the collection, so holy books, uh, there's a Torah, uh, to see him. And at the time, uh, we thought it was an opportunity, us as a universal museum, showing universal religions uh, to sort of make a statement about our brand. So we ran a campaign about living by the same light and the fact that we use this, this line about not having to read from the same book to be on the same page. And again, that had an, an impact on attendance uh, and brand affinity. And finally, uh, we have recently sent the uh, first ever astronaut to space, Emirati astronaut. So uh, we, again, it's another video. I really didn't think about that, the complexity of video. Sorry, it's, it's a bit boring here. Uh, but we invited him to the museum and uh, Again, for our UAE public, they were just so proud of this moment in, in history. The whole country tuned in to watch him fly into space. And uh, we had sort of the last piece of content of him in the country before flying away. So this was hugely, uh, hugely successful. And again, I think it's, this is the kind of content that's bringing our, our UAE national public back. So if, if I just can uh, conclude, I think what I'm saying here is that uh, and, and I pull out this quote, which is, is from the ICOM's recent General Assembly, where they were discussing the, um, the definition of a museum and the role of a museum. So it's in that very specific context. But I think uh, 
I cannot give the answer on truth-telling. My truth-telling in Abu Dhabi is very different to all of you in your very specific context, and it's about the relevance in, in which we're working. So I leave you with that and hand over to my colleagues. Welcome to Communicating the Art, the international conference for cultural leaders. Episode 19, Made in Hong Kong, a new reference point in museum storytelling, by Chris Sullivan, senior producer of digital content, M Plus Hong Kong, and Helen Harrison, senior producer of digital content, M Plus Hong Kong. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Chris. I'm the senior content producer at M Plus in Hong Kong. This is my colleague, Alan, the web editor in English. 
Today we'll be talking about how a new and growing museum sees um, digital fitting into its very um, fabric by looking at a case study, um, one that's called M Plus Stories. M Plus Stories is an online editorial platform that we launched a few years ago um, and it's been a really useful experience for us, um, a new museum that has yet to open its doors to the public in experimenting with our curatorial voice outside of the gallery space, um, thinking about our workflows moving forward, um, and also how we work together as a team and liaise across different departments. Before we go into too much detail, I thought I'd just introduce you to the museum and speak a little bit about our context in Hong Kong. So this is our building. Uh, you can see it's still under construction. This photo was taken about a month ago now. Um, our building is almost weatherproof um, and will be open, as I said earlier, um, towards the end of next year, early 2021. It's a big building, it's got a large footprint. There are 17,000 square metres of exhibition space here. Um, and I think I should also mention that we're a museum of visual culture. So visual culture to us is upheld by three um, curatorial pillars, and that's design and architecture, moving image and visual arts. We're a cross-disciplinary institution, and I think we really revel in that space where these different curatorial disciplines intermix with one another. We're a collection-based museum as well, so we've been collecting materials since 2011, um, and we have um, everything from neon signs from around Hong Kong, emojis, uh, sculpture, photography, paintings, um, as well as architectural models and um, archival material too from Hong Kong and around the world. You can see here that there's a lot of construction happening around our building as well, and that's because we're part of the West Kowloon Cultural District. The West Kowloon Cultural District consists of a number of cultural institutions and venues, of which M Plus is only one. Um, and I bring that up also to mention that we share a number of staff with our district um, colleagues. So whilst our museum consists of three core teams, uh, collections and exhibitions, curatorial, which Alan and I are part of, as well as operations, we do share the marketing, legal, ICT, um, and um, some finance um, staff with the broader district. And that really affects the way we put our projects together. Um, and I'll speak about that in a little bit more detail later on. This, um, whilst we're growing our physical infrastructure, our team is also growing um, at an exponential rate. So in the top left-hand corner, you can see the very first uh, team photo from our institution. This was taken in 2011 with the founding members. Uh, the top right was taken a couple of years ago, and the bottom image on the left was taken one year ago. Um, so this is the, uh, the context in which we're actually developing all our projects. We're seeing a lot of new people enter the institution and there's a lot of change. Uh, so this is um, one of the challenges, I guess, um, in working in a museum that is still really gearing up towards its opening. By the time we open at the end of next year, we'll have more than doubled uh, from what you see here in terms of staff numbers. Um, and very quickly, so I just wanted to speak a little bit about how our team sees digital. Uh, so we're split into three loose areas. That's content, insights, and product. Content is what Alan and I work on. So this is the actual material, the texts, uh, the videos, the social media content that we share um, across all our platforms. Product is the touch point with which our visitors interact with our material. This could be a website, this could be an audio guide, this could be an in-gallery experience. 
And finally, insights is the third, the third key here. So um, this is analytics. This is how people are engaging with our material. We look at insights on a weekly basis at our team meeting to see what's happening, what's working, what isn't. And we have uh, more detailed quarterly meetings as well, where we go into the nitty gritty of what's actually happening, uh, trends, forecasts, and how we're tracking along the way. So M Plus Stories was a platform that we developed in 2017. It's the first time that a team at M Plus has run its own um, online platform. Before that, we had a lot of microsites that uh, were run by our colleagues in the district. This is the first time we've put all our content under the one editorial umbrella. Um, so this is just a very high overview of the kinds of material we deal with here at the museum. Uh, we have blog posts, videos, long form texts. We're moving into digital born artist commissions at the moment as well, um, as well as in-house interactives. Our core reason for being basically is, it's all about storytelling for us. Um, it's how, a big reason for this project is how we engage with our audiences and finding out places where we can learn more about the Hong Kong Museum visitor. It's allowed us to um, develop a lot of workflows. So we publish all our content bilingually at a very quick cadence. Um, as we sort of move closer to the museum's opening, people's um, priorities are um, divergent um, and we have a lot of competing needs. So it's really sort of allowed us to work in a high pressure environment and sort of learn how to work as a team and churn out a lot of different materials. I'll now hand over to Alan to speak more about the editorial um, insights and parts of our program. Thank you. Um, hi, hi, I'm Ellen. Uh, as Chris mentioned, I'll be talking a little bit about the uh, editorial and content strategies that we're working with for M Plus Stories. Um, I'm gonna see. Yes, okay, great. So before I go into content strategy, I'm gonna just introduce two very fundamental aspects of M Plus Stories. Everything from the design of the platform to the content follows these principles. So first of all, working bilingually, uh, we publish everything in both English and traditional Chinese. Uh, it's really important to our identity as an institution that everything from a long form academic article to an Instagram stories uh, sounds as natural in English as it does in traditional Chinese. Um, so neither language can be a secondary consideration for us. Um, I work very closely with a web content editor for Chinese to make sure that this happens. Um, for example, a blog post, um, which we publish on a near weekly basis, has a five week lead time to account for things like translation and copy editing in both languages. We also have separate workflows for content written in English first versus Chinese first. So yeah, so it takes a lot of work, but it's really important to, that we do that. Um, on a similar note, accessibility is another thing that was really important for us to build into the platform. Um, for example, we worked from the start with the Hong Kong Blind Union to um, make sure that every image that we publish online comes with um, alt text. So that is image descriptions for screen readers. Um, and we do this in both English and traditional Chinese. This kickstarted a broader project internally to um, create alt text for every object in the M plus collections. Um, and you can see a snapshot of a very large spreadsheet there. This is a project that is still ongoing, of course. Um, yeah. So how do we actually build a content strategy? There are a few challenges that I want to introduce here. Um, first of all, 
there's no other institution like M Plus in Hong Kong at this point. Um, it follows that there's no other platform like M Plus Stories as well. So we're sort of creating our own reference point, drawing on a pretty wide range of influences. We're also a very young institution, and we don't have a museum building yet. So, uh, and we're also very much in the public eye and under public scrutiny. So we're sort of building our identity under those pressures. Uh, we have to create a voice that is many things at once. Um, it has to be knowledgeable, reflecting M Plus's position as one of the leaders in the cultural ecosystem of, of Hong Kong. Uh, but it also, of course, has to be accessible and friendly. And it has to speak to both local audiences and global audiences, because M Plus is a uh, institution with a um, focus in Hong Kong, but with a global outlook. Um, another really big challenge is the fact that we are creating content that has to be relevant for our audiences, but we don't really know who our audiences are yet. We haven't opened yet. So um, a really big part of our content strategy is to learn about our audiences through our content. Um, and online is a really great place to experiment and to do that. So we keep a really close eye on our insights. Um, we look at them weekly in smaller team meetings and in larger quarterly analytics meetings as well. And some of the questions that we ask ourselves are, um, what are we actually representing in our stories online? Uh, in terms of things like gender, uh, geographies, different disciplines in the collections, uh, voices from the museum. You can see some examples of what that might look like up there. Um, gender breakdown and curatorial focus are up there. Uh, which content is becoming popular and why? So what is resonating with our audiences and why is that resonating? And how can our content connect with both local and global audiences? A constant struggle for us. Um, I'm gonna introduce a very small case study here. Um, we have a really large uh, collection of archival items, the M Plus Collection Archives. We have, I think, more than 35,000 items in that collection at, at this point. Uh, many of them are related to architectural firms. Many of those are Hong Kong architectural firms. Um, and uh, we initially thought that this material might be too, uh, too research-focused and dry to get more than a, maybe like a little bit more of a niche audience online. Um, when we published our first post about the um, a Hong Kong architectural archive, which was uh, from the uh, firm Wong Chung and Partners, we got uh, thousands of views in just a couple of days. And this was a great positive, positive surprise for us. Uh, people saw the share image um, that you can see there to the left of the Meifu housing complex and had an immediate personal resonance with it. Many people had lived there or visited there. And there's really not anything written about um, it online from a sort of serious curatorial um, perspective. And you can see some of the responses on uh, social media that I've picked out there. People sharing their own photos of the space, um, their own experiences and personal connections with the space. And um, the read time of the post as well showed that people were spending quite a lot of time as well with this rather lengthy piece of content, not just reacting to the share image. So this encouraged us to experiment with more content around Hong Kong architecture, um, including a uh, Where in Hong Kong Instagram series that you can see up there on the right, um, where we take a archival item showing a building in Hong Kong and ask people to guess where it is. Um, I'm always super impressed with how many people guess correctly. I could never really do that. And um, we also created a quiz, which I put a screenshot off in the top 
right corner on M plus stories, asking people to um, guess which spot in Hong Kong is being depicted in a work from the M plus collection. So that painting, for example, shows the famous uh, lion rock, and then you get a result, you know, are you an expert in Hong Kong or not? Um, and that quiz also saw really great organic share numbers. Yeah, so as I said, uh, we really are at the time in our institution to experiment with our content right now and use that as an opportunity to learn about our audiences. So we cannot be afraid to experiment. Um, I, we also try really hard to build an element of in interactivity into our content so that we can learn about our audience that way. Um, so here are some examples of that. Um, on the far left is uh, an example of Ask a Curator Day. So um, we participate in that every year. I'm sure many people here um, also do. Um, this is our head of learning, Stella, answering questions um, over Instagram stories. Um, we also ex uh, expand that to our uh, exhibitions. Um, so in the gallery, people can uh, ask questions for the curators that get answered on the blog later. From the collections in the middle there is a series where people, uh, our readers vote between four related objects in the collection and the winning object gets featured in the series. And um, we also are building a network of external voices and writers that we commission for um, unique takes on visual culture. So top right, um, why is Hong Kong such a popular video game location um, is one of those um, commissioned uh, pieces of writing from a video game researcher. Um, and this is our most popular post so far. And it's a great example of something that can appeal to both local and global audiences because it has video games as a, a sort of touch point for people who might not be familiar with Hong Kong. And below that, you see um, our online academic journal podium where we also get external writers to um, write more long form analytical articles on different topics of visual culture. I'd like to just wrap up with showing how we can also expand our content strategy beyond just our own digital platforms into the rest of the web and into the physical spaces as well. So we do this through our um, Wikipedia editathons. Uh, we organize these uh, every year um, in collaboration with uh, another leading cultural institution in Hong Kong called Asia Art Archive. And we ask participants to come and create and improve and translate Wikipedia articles about underrepresented topics in Asian visual culture women in art and uh, exhibition histories in Asia. And um, we then take that content or those results and we put that on M plus stories as well. So we put all of our results on M plus stories and we also use it as a springboard to create content on M plus stories about some of those underrepresented topics that were added on Wikipedia during the editathon. Um, this also allows us to build networks with um, participants who come to these events. We keep in touch with them in between events with a Facebook group for, for our Wikipedia editors um, and also other cultural institutions who are interested in this and also communities outside of the cultural sector. So we work very closely with the Wikimedia user groups for Hong Kong and Taiwan, for example. All right, I'm gonna hand back over to Chris to So what's next? M plus stories has been an excellent testing ground. Um, it was remiss of me not to mention earlier that we have been operating as a museum since around 2012. Uh, we have exhibitions, uh, screenings, public programs. M plus stories is part of this mix. It's a really good way for us to learn more about our visitors um, and filling the gaps of knowledge which we have about them. 
we're going to be moving from um, a museum that doesn't have a building soon to a fully fledged operational museum. Um, and what that means is um, shifting Empire Stories onto the main museum website and thinking more about how our editorial content sits amongst the Visit Us information and how we actually further develop that editorial voice and communicate um, and create dialogue with our visitors in more ways. We're working really hard at the moment um, in the spirit of open access to share more information about our collections online. We're going through a really large data cleanup process um, developing, um, put, pushing out all this data essentially in two languages to speak about on our platforms. We went through a tagging exercise where we would assign keywords to each of the key pieces of content we were making. And this allowed us, I think, to think outside the box and um, put us in the position of a visitor who might not have an art history background, might not be a content matter expert, but think about new ways with, with which people might engage with our content through keywords and provide, a, provide them with an invitation to search so that we can make our content more accessible um, and hopefully engage people um, in different ways as well. Designing for people using the system, not just the visitors, was super important to me. Uh, this was something about, this is basically about thinking not only about the front end experience, how someone engages with your content online, but also about the people spending all their days in the system authoring this material. Alan and I spend an inordinate amount of time in the CMS um, thinking about how we publish content in a quick cadence in two languages. We want to make that, um, that experience as easy for us and our team as possible because we spend so much of our working days there. So that was something that we put a lot of time and effort into when we were developing our platform. Um, as Alan mentioned earlier, don't be afraid to experiment. Now's the time for experimentation for us. We can really swing for the fences and um, see what works, what doesn't. Not everything's going to not everything's going to land properly, um, and that's okay. Uh, we're sort of built that culture around our team where um, we have given each other the permission to do this. Um, obviously, learning about our audiences through our content is something that is an ongoing process for us through our insights model. Um, and finally, growth can be messy, and that's okay. We're growing at a really quick speed at the moment. Um, and I guess one of the most important parts about our project was not only developing a platform for people to actually engage with our material, but also developing the framework for us to work um, across teams bilingually at a really, um, at a really quick cadence, um, as I mentioned earlier, with balancing a lot of competing needs. So that has been um, a really important learning and something that we can um, push forward through with other projects down the track. Uh, that's all for today. Thank you very much.